just, just for everybody that's joining us today, um, I've seen a lot of faces that weren't there last week, and um, for all of those people that are online and are, are, are hearing us from, from, from home, I really would like to just firstly just say, just welcome to everybody, uh, again, for those that have joined us. Um, for some of you who haven't been part of last week, this is really a three-week kind of session. Um, and I'm going to be continuing again from where we left off last week. But I'll also, for those of you that have just joined, I've tried to add one or two thoughts so that you just can understand where we're at. The theme that I've been sharing about and am sharing about is knowing and owning our identity in Christ. And what that means uh, in the world that we're living in this present world that we are called to be part of in this moment. And um, you might have remembered if you've joined us, and I'm going to be saying this a few times, so just excuse me if I say, well, this is what I said, or uh, if, you, if you weren't with us last week, um, I'm, I'll, I'll try not to say that too often, but I'm, I'm going to be sharing a few things just to give you guys a context of exactly where we're at and what we were sharing last week. So we were sharing out of two kings. That was my theme scripture that I was using. And some of the key things that we were breaking open last week was, as this specific passage shows us, that who we are as an identity in Christ, as sons and daughters of the Son of God, of the Heavenly Father, we are able to own that identity as children, citizens of heaven. That is such an incredible truth that we need to own, and I felt before we even get into what it means, into how to live out this life as an identity, we need to know this fact. And so I spent most of the, of, of the lessons last week just clearly describing to each of us what it means to be a child of God, that we've been ransomed, we've been redeemed from one Colossians, from Colossians 1 verse 13, out of, the, out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of God. And what that means for all of us, that really means, friends, that we are living in this world, but we're not of this world. And the main thing that was coming across is how as we as Christians, as children that are, are called to be heavenly focused, find ourselves anchored into so many things of this world, the distractions of the world, and how it is so easily for us to be drawn out of knowing our identity in Christ. And we prayed specifically as a congregation, it was amazing to hear some testimonies, as we asked the Lord to awaken us, to open our eyes to who we are, to our identity. And it was just, uh, we shared this amazing, just for you that too, I'm going to say this a few times, we said out of, out of Matthew chapter 4, Jesus gives us this amazing example. And as he's tempted in the wilderness, um, the first temptation is, you know, what will we do when we're faced with hardships, when we're faced with temptations? And the, and the result was, it's not the hardships that we're facing, it's how we deal with the hardships. And that is the temptation. And there we were saying specifically, you are called to decide to do it as the world would do it, as you find yourself being drawn into the world, or you're called to do this the way God wants you to do it. And Jesus shows us. He says you will have no greater need than this need. And that is to be completely dependent on the Father. Jesus uses amazing, amazing words. And this is what I just wanted to clear it up front as, our, as we own our identity. Is that for each one of us, that your greatest need, my greatest need, is to hang on to every word that comes from the mouth of God. And through that, in faith, be able to speak with authority and with power, and be able to do things God's way and not the world's way, hanging on to every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
It was just such a wonderful revelation for all of us to own and accept. It was Rema for us. And it's with that same theme that we're starting to this week. And again, we're going to look at uh, 2 Kings. The verse that we used was uh, 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 17, and it goes from 17 on, and I'm going to read. And the verse that we left off last week, and for some of you who might have read on to the end of Kings, and I've, uh, so, that, so there might be some spoilers for those, but the rest of us who haven't, um, we're going to conclude what happens to Elisha. The story just to kind of, in a nutshell, Elisha's the prophet, and every time the king of Syria was warring against Israel, every time he had made plans to try and ambush the king of Israel, Elisha would tell the king what the, what the king of Syria was planning and where he would be. And he got so frustrated, he called all his servants together and said, so who of you are betraying me? And then one servant stood up and said, it's none of us, but the prophet Elijah says everything that you say in your bedroom. And of course, he goes mad and he declares, I want to send an army of horses and chariots, a great army, the word says, to where does he is? In Dothan. And he sends this army to go and capture Elisha. Now, just for a quick reference that we just understand where this is, if you think of the map of, of Israel, it's a long country, short but long country, and you've got the sea on this side, I'm doing it from your side, Tel Aviv is over there, Jerusalem is somewhere down here, Dothan, if you draw a, a line parallel across, Dothan is this little village in the middle of, the, of, of, of Israel, in the same line as Tel Aviv, Tel Aviv is on the ocean. And then you get this, this area called Samar Sam Samaria, um, Samaritans, you can imagine, Samaria. At that stage, that was the part of the, the king of Israel, owned, was, was the king of that. Below that is Jerusalem. And this is just on the edge, it's called Dothan. It's a little, little space, a little village. Now it's different, but it was just a little village then. And the whole thing happened, servant goes outside, he sees this huge army of chariots and horses coming down, surrounding the village. And, he, and he's completely blown away. And then Elijah says these amazing words. He says, you know, those that are for us are greater than those that are against us. And we get this glimpse in two kings of the spiritual battle that is accompanying the physical battle. And the verse that we started with, verse 17, is when he prays for the servant and he says, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountains were full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And our prayer was, Lord, will you open our eyes so that we could see our own identity, that we can understand what it is and be confident to be able to address the physical things that we are facing. And so now I'm going to take us further into the story. He reads on in verse 18, and as this army approaches, he prays this prayer to the Lord and he says, Lord, let me read it from here, strike these people with blindness. He declares that speaks that boldly, and God answers his prayer. What I want you to just to hear is that I share this. I'm not going to read specifically, but I'm going to share into it. You need, and I'll share specific words. Realize the moments where we have worldly ways of solving things and where God's way comes in. The first one is here. You can imagine, Elijah knows who he is in Christ. He could have said anything. He could have destroyed them right there. But he asked God to blind them. And then just hear the confidence and the authority and the, and the power in which he, he speaks to this, this army. Remember I mentioned the riders of Rohan circling around, that, that picture of these thousands of these horses coming around and just circling these two guys. And in this, he speaks with authority and he says this amazing thing. He says, um, you know, uh, let me just read it. I'll read it up here. Um, and then the Lord answers his prayer. On the next verse, verses, verses 19, he says, 
then, then he says to them this. He says, this is not the way, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. So firstly, when it speaks about blindness, you know, they've got to drive, they've got to run with chariots. So somehow they went like blind, blind, they couldn't see. He kind of led them in this kind of blindness of what the reality was right in the midst of Samaria where the king of Israel was. And the, and the moment comes where the king of Israel sees his enemy completely disorientated and then Elijah open, says, open their eyes. And they see they're standing, they're in the middle of the enemy territory and the king of Israel is all around them. And then the king of Israel says this, he says this twice. He says, Father, speaking to Elisha, sh- uh, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? Worldly, that seems like the right thing to do. Listen what God says to Elijah to say. He says, no, feed them with bread and water and send them on their way. He has the response of the king of Israel, which is again just a major blessing. He doesn't just feed them with bread and water. He puts a great feast before them. And then he sends them on their way. And then, of course, what happens, it says that the Syrian army never then after that raged war against against the king of Israel. That's the reality that resulted of someone doing it God's way and not the world's way. I've used this specific example for a very, very specific purpose. There's a few amazing things that we need to notice specifically in this this chapter. As I said, this is one of the examples in the Old Testament where you clearly see not only the physical battle that's taking place, but you get glimpses of the spiritual battle that is taking place at the same time. It's a wonderful passage. There's a few others in Daniel, um, Daniel chapter 10. This one is just for me such a wonderful picture of what's happening in the spiritual as well as in the physical and how it plays out. And the second thing is, is really a, an incredible truth that just excites me to share it. I've been wanting to share it last week, but I'm going to share it this week. Um, <clears throat> you need to understand that Israel were given a covenant from God. It was a physical covenant. They were promised that promised land. You've heard this before, that they were promised the land and everything in it, all the blessings of the land. It was a physical covenant. Go into the land and claim it. That was the promised covenant that they had. For the covenant, the physical covenant that they had to do, when they went into the land, there was lots and lots of different people, enemies occupying the land. And for them to claim the physical promise of the land and the blessings of the land, they had to take hold, they had to press in, they had to fight these physical battles, they had to fight the enemies to claim the promise that God had given them. It wasn't as if they just walked in there and this is ours. This is the reality in the Old Testament, physical covenant, physical promise, physical battles that had to be fought. And here's the amazing truth. This is when truth becomes a revelation to each of us. We as Christians in the New Testament, the New Covenant, you've heard about the word New Covenant, we have a covenant with the Lord, which is a spiritual covenant. It's a spiritual covenant, which we have to, which we receive spiritual blessings in. And to receive spiritual blessings, we need to fight and claim and take hold of those spiritual blessings. And that doesn't just happen. We have to fight for that. We have a battle on our hands to claim the spiritual covenant that God has given us. You know, when you see this, it's like this amazing thing. Old Testament is this image that is given to us. And in the New Testament, it's just amplified. And it just becomes like this this orchestra and this beautiful picture of what God is showing us. It so excites me when I saw that. I thought, I've got to share this, but wait till next week. So this is what I wanted to say. That's so amazing if you just take that and get it in your bones. And I wrote it down like this, and I said, 
Here's the truth for you and me. To take hold of that the promises of God that are spiritual in nature, to claim them and take hold of them, we need to fight them with spiritual means. That's it. And also, which is important for us to know, there is an enemy. And it's not a physical enemy. We're not fighting an army. We're not fighting a nation. We're fighting a spiritual enemy. And his name is the devil. In 1 Peter, Peter says this so clearly to us. In 1 Peter verse 8, 5 verse 8, he says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He's speaking to Christians, friends. He's telling us that you're in a battle. You're in a battle. And here's the crux of it. We shared it a bit last week, and I'm just going to reiterate it for all of us just to again take in. The crux of the matter is for all of us is we are completely unprepared for a spiritual adversary. Last week we shared on this. We've lost our identity. We've lost our authority. We live our lives anchored in this world. We're not slave to this world anymore. But we've lost our identity of knowing who we are. And we just aren't able to fight this battle. We're really clueless how to fight this battle. That's how I wrote it down here. We cannot fight the devil with physical things. We just can't. And it's not something that is given to us when we become Christians. It's not something that we just, okay, well, I'm a Christian, now I can do this. We need to learn what it means to be put into the battle. We need to know what it takes to fight a spiritual battle, to own the spiritual covenant and the blessings of the spiritual covenant. And that's just the truth of it. And my purpose for these three weeks is that I can really outline to all of us. And I'm really praying and I've sensed it, I've seen it happening in people's lives. Something's happened. We've been woken up out of our slumber. But God needs to give us and equip us now how we can own this identity and how we can identify, open our eyes to see that those that are for us are greater than those that are against us. That, Lord, this is how you want me to do this. Not the way my heart's telling me because the world's saying I should do it this way. This is the way you want me to do this. This is the, 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 the rema, the revelation that God is giving us. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, does this amazing thing. He writes to the church in Ephesus, and then he says, he writes to them to teach them how to fight a spiritual battle. And this is found in Ephesians chapter 6. And allow me to read it from verse 10 to verse 18 before I kind of unpack this specific, open up this word for us. <clears throat> and hear all that is said in this specific passage. Before I read it, just to give you some idea. And I was a Christian, and friends, I, I didn't know this for seven, eight years in, in, in my walk as a Christian. And when I read it for the first time, I'll be honest, I didn't understand it. It didn't make sense to me. I didn't understand what was, I, I tried to, but it didn't kind of click. But God then revealed to me, and it's just amazing how you, you know, I never went to Sunday school, so I didn't have a lovely picture of a Roman soldier. Um, but this that we're about to read opens our minds to the heavenly realm. And if you've ever read it before, and if you're reading it for the first time, um, know that as I read this, God is going to be speaking into your lives about what it means to fight a spiritual battle. Let me read it. He says in verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. 
put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes on your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayers and supplications. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints. Friends, this passage is loaded, and it is, I, I can't do this all in one, one, one week, or just one sermon, so now we're going to work this out over two, two sermons, but I've been excited to be able to allow us to let this truth be known to us, and let me, let me just take verse by verse, and I want to just share from my heart of how I've experienced this, and I'm trusting that you would be equipped to know with your identity as, as, as children of God, sons and daughters, that this is what we're going to hold on to. This is how God's going to equip us. And we'll never be the same again. So if you look at the first statement that Paul makes, this is verse 10. And I've got verse 10 and 11 together. He starts off by saying, finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Many of us, and I'm saying Ken, this is Ken. How often have I not said to many of you, yeah, Brew, just be strong. Audrey, just be strong. John, just be strong. When I read this, I realized, oh, Lord, it's, 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 it's not about you being strong. It's not about telling people you've been strong. You need to say, be strong in the Lord. I'm so happy that Paul says that to us. Because it's not by your own strength and it's not by your own might that we can do this. It is by the strength of his might that we're able to do these things. So for all of you that have been out there, and I've said that to you, I'm sorry. <laughs> and, um, but I just realized it was the first thing that the Lord spoke to me when I started just breaking up from this word. It is in God's strength. It's nothing that we can do in our own strength. That's the first statement that I'd like to make. It's not a physical thing. We can, we can, we can try with, with, you know, we can't cry enough tears. We cannot physically do anything to intimidate the devil. It's impossible to do that. It's by God's power and His might. And owning this that we're about to share, what enables us to stand firm. Then in the next sentence, Paul says this most amazing thing. This next sentence, he gives context to the rest of the whole chapter. He says four amazing things. He first tells us who the enemy is. He explains about the scheme. He gives us the goal of what we're supposed to do. And he also says how we're supposed to do it. And the verse says, reads like this. You'll pick them up as I, as I read it. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Who's the enemy? It's the devil. What are the schemes that the devil has? Friends, the schemes of the devil hasn't changed throughout the, all the ages. <clears throat> this, this, the, the schemes of the devil, is said this, I said this last week and I'm going to say it again this week. His scheme hasn't changed. His scheme is to create a wedge 
between you and your heavenly father. And the more he creates a wedge between you, being, between you and your relationship with the heavenly father, the more you become independent, the more you've been doing things in the worldly way, and the more you feel ashamed and the more you are just drifting further, further away. And then finally, you're hiding and you're ashamed because you've lost that intimacy with the father. Same happened to Adam and Eve. The same happens in all these situations as we don't hang on to the dependence on our Heavenly Father. Being able to be close to Him. That's His scheme. Thirdly, He tells us the goal. And this is amazing. And if you can realize this and own this for each of us. The spiritual battle. We are told not to advance. We are told to stand firm. We are told to stand firm. And when you're standing firm, stand firm again. He says stand firm about four times in this passage. You go and read it. And when you're standing, stand firm, he says. Such a thought in our mind. You have this picture and the world tells us that we can take on and we can, you know, the, the, the media will describe moments, the computer games the children are playing. Um, all about us fighting demons and, and rubbish stuff. The word of God says to us, we need to resist the devil. We need to stand firm. All the movies we've seen, where they combine spiritual dimensions and, and earthly dimensions, and our people in the physical kind of come out victorious. It's a lie, friends. We need, we need to renew our minds on heavenly things. That wasn't in the script. But, um, <laughs> then finally, of course, he says how we should do this. We need to have the armor of God. And he says the whole armor of God. The word in the Greek is called, and I wish I had Fivius here because he could pronounce it lovely. I would have asked him to announce it. So when he's at home, I think he's going to be correcting me. But the word is called, it's a, it's a combination of two words, full armor. And it's panopelia, which means it's not a piece of the armor. You can, if you just got the sword and you don't have the helmet or don't have anything else, you're going to be whacked. He's telling us in the sentence that we need to have the full armor of God. So important. Then in verse 12, now this verse alone, friends, this verse is Paul describing what we spoke about in Kings, 2 Kings. This is him opening up our minds to the reality of the heavenly realm. Opening up our minds to stand, this is our enemy. Allow me to read it and then I'll, I'll break open the scripture for us. It reads like this and it says, well, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, things of this physical earth but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Friends, this, this, this verse alone, if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're at the mercy of the authorities of the kingdom of darkness. In Colossians we heard last week, that we've been redeemed, we've been set free through the blood of Jesus Christ, and we're not citizens of this present darkness, this, this kingdom that he's described here. But know this, all of us in this building, all of us that, have, that are believers in Jesus Christ, that at some stage declared and understood and owned in our heart that we are sinners and that Christ's death, his resurrection, freed me from my sins and that I am a child of God. For all of us that have declared that, we are no longer slaves. You've been freed from, the mercy, from, 
from the, from the decisions of those authorities that could, could do anything to you because that was the kingdom you were part of. And this is the reality that we need to own. That that is the truth for many people we love. Many people who have, who have just found themselves as, as, as wonderful Christians but are kind of living in this anchored world and forgotten their identity. They're getting whacked. And they're wondering why God is not answering their prayers. It's because we've anchored in so many things of this world. And these authorities are laughing at us because we don't know who we are. And we've lost that intimacy with the Father. We are then at the mercy of those authorities mentioned. And that, to me, is such an eye-opener for all of us to know. Let me just read that again. But your fight is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Friends, we're in a battle, and it's real. But we cannot fight this physically, and we need to be equipped. Verse 13 is Paul just reiterating what is the goal and what we should do. He says this, you should take up the whole armor of God and then be able to stand in the evil day and having done so, stand firm. He's giving us again what the goal is. We need this armor, the whole armor, uses that word, and we need to be able to stand in this evil day. Now, some of you might have heard this said and preached on this, we're living in an evil age. I don't have to explain that more than just for you to imagine that in the last hundred years, more people are dying than we could ever imagine. As I was, as I was preparing this week, um, I went to a specific site um, on, on abortion, and the counter for this year is 25 million, and as I'm speaking, it's just clicking over. Click, 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 click. And the Lord just convicted me in my heart. We are living in an evil age. We are living in an evil age, friends. And for each of us, it says that there's an evil day. Now, there are evil days that we are confronted with, each one of us. And we need to be equipped how to handle them. And again, as I said last week, I'm saying it again, the evil day is not the hardships we are facing. Have a, if you've never, just go and listen to the message. The evil day is not the hardships, not the hungers, not the things that we are facing. Your evil day is how you respond to those hardships. Christ's way or the world's way. That is, that is when the evil day is upon you. It's how you respond. And Paul is calling us that in this evil day, we need to put on the full armament of God to be able to withstand and then stand firm. I have this picture in my mind, and I'm kind of adding a little bit here, but in my world, that, that, that Syrian army just crushing in on us, and with this armor, we're able to stand and I've got this picture of us with this armor and with the radiance of God just shining. It just splinters in front of us. That's the identity that I have. And it's just a beautiful picture. When you walk into the presence of moments, evil moments, know who you are and understand, okay, this is it, Lord. I, I, I can't fight this physically. I need to apply what I've learned from your word. I'm in a spiritual battle. And of course, then he goes on in verse 14 and he says now um, exactly what we should do. And as I said, I'm going to only take half of these this week and then we'll do the rest next week. Um, it's going to be a special week next week. 
So he says in verse 14, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and then put on the breastplate of righteousness. As I said, as, as, a, as a youngster, as a young Christian, excited, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't even know this um, until I was at university and, and friends started sharing word into my life. And then I realized what this actually meant. But this is the armor. And now I'm going to break things open and I trust that you would bear with me and you'd be able to own this reality of what I'm about to share because this is going to knock you. Because it's knocked me as I've been preparing and wrestling with how I can bring this across. But I want us to hear this, and I know there's a battle going on, but I know that in faith as we share this, there's power when I speak this word of God, and God reveals this truth to us, and it will change us forever. So, the belt of truth. The belt of truth. Paul uses incredible example. Now, what Paul did for the church in Ephesus at that time, he looked at some way of an analogy that they would understand the whole symbols, spiritual symbols, and he kind of connected them to some, some physical things that they can relate to. You must understand for believers at that time that they would all be uh, in their periphery vision on any given day. They would have had a Roman soldier somewhere in the village, in the square, marching past them. The authority, the police, everything was the Roman soldiers. They would know the oppression. They would know the, the brutality. They would know the power and know the, 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 what they represent. They would know the, 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 the impact they would have. And they would understand the image for themselves. And so he uses this physical image to describe things in the spiritual realm. So allow me as we go, I'm going to be speaking about the things that they're speaking about physically. And then we'll be able to speak about them in the spiritual realm. So the first thing he says, they would have to have the belt of truth. Now in the Roman soldier, his belt, everything hung on or supported by this belt that he had. It gave him access to all the weapons that he needed, everything was, was, this was the most important thing that he would have to have, is have this belt on to have access to weapons, supported the breastplate, it put everything, it tied everything together. And that's in the physical realm. They would know that. Now in the spiritual realm, this is it for you and me. We need to believe that the word of God, this word, is true. Before I share another word, I'm going to share two scriptures, because I want this revelation to just come alive in your hearts. It's found in Psalms 18, verse 30, and it says, this God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. The word of the Lord proves true. What He's saying there to each one of us, and I'm praying that this will just go from here into your hearts and be there forever. He's saying that God's word is proven to be true. As an engineer, when I want to prove something's true, I have evidence. And when I've got evidence, boy, there's nothing that's going to stop me saying, guys, that's the absolute truth for this thing. That equation works. That formula works. I know that this is true because I can prove it to you on all my evidence. The Word of God says that the Word of God is proven to be absolute truth. I've held onto that with fingernails. When I've been beaten and my faith was rocked because some things that people said to me about this word of God. The other verse that I've owned in my heart is found in John chapter 8 verses 32. 
And this is the revelation that I wanted. This is the power of God's word. It says, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Friends, this is it. This is when, when truth becomes a revealed truth to you and me. As you know the truth of God, remember, it's proven to be true. As it starts knowing the truth, this truth sets you free and enables you to be bold and enables you to speak the truth in faith. It enables you to speak with authority. But here's the reality that you are all facing, and I'm facing, and our children are facing. That the world that we're growing up in and the world that we're facing with, people are able to, be, are, 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 they read. Children, teenagers spend up to four hours a day, maybe more, on their iPhones, listening to the opinions of people that are famous, listening to their friends' opinions. They've been, they've been exposed to, we've been exposed to people who have been able to explain their revealed truth to all of us. And they're proud of that. And they want to be able to debate it with you. And here's the truth that you and I face. In some conversations, when you say, well, I believe that the Bible is true, be ready. They're longing to just rip into your belief system because they have owned a reality for them to be true and they don't hold the punches. They're going to throw out the things that, 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 that the world is throwing at, uh, that we kind of don't want to answer. You and I do not need to waver about this truth. We need to have this truth. We need, if we don't have this truth, everything hangs on it. Everything else that we speak about falls flat if you don't believe that the Word of God is true. Now, I can just share it in my own life, and this is just the truth. For quite a part of my first part of being a Christian, with my simple faith, man, I was beaten up by wonderful people who were intellectuals, who were atheists, who were Jehovah's Witnesses, who would come and argue me, and I'd, I'd walk away feeling, I thought, I just, I'm rattled. What they said seemed so right. And, and, and I was fearful. But I, I, I turned to the Lord. And you know, God is so good to us. And, and I've, over the years, I've, I've, I've just, I'm just sharing with you as openly as it is. That, and I'm freed because of John 8 verse, verse 32. Because God has revealed truth to me, and I'm able to share it boldly. Now, how did I do that? Basically, for me personally, I've, I've um, spent time, you know, with uh, listening, and in those days, reading um, apologetics. It's a theology of apologetics, which basically, if it sounds complicated... It's really, it's, 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 it's where people define Christianity uh, against objections to our, to, our, to our belief. It's where people have, have defined what it means to be a Christian and able to answer the objections that people have come to. Now, there's wonderful people. There's, I'm going to give you three people's names. You can see it on the net. You can go and look it up. And this, 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 this specific gentleman, he's an Oxford professor in, in Oxford, um, Dr. Um, John Lennox, still around today, he was in Zurich last year, couldn't get in, um, speaking at the university ex against atheists in a debate. There's people that are able to have enabled me to realize, man, we can, we can stand on that truth of the word of God. And we can have an argument in love and grace to be able to defend every word in this Bible. I just got to learn. And I've got to own that for myself. Um, and that set me free. Because I started realizing, man, this is, this is solid. This is the rock on which I can stand. And it enables me to be able to have an opinion. But our families, our friends, if we don't have that, phew, 
you can't go into battle. Another incredible teacher who died in May was Ravi Zacharias. Just look up Ravi Zacharias on YouTube. Everything that's on there with that man, he's debated the most well-known atheists, Hindus, Muslims, pantheists. Um, just, just, just go and have a look there and let your faith be built so that your mind will be set free that God's word is truth for you. Another one that I'd, I can just recommend for the youth and, and people is a guy named Dr. Frank Turek. And what he does is he goes onto university campuses. He stands there, he opens the door, and he puts a mic out there and he says, right, tell me what you want to ask me. And students that are vibrant, that are, and they just throw him with all kinds of questions. And he's just, and I just say, just, just look up his, his, his website. It's called crossexamine.org. Those specific apologetic teachings have enabled me to believe more and more, not just with my faith, but I've been bold, I've been set free. Because I know that this word is proven to be true. And I really want to encourage each of you. I'm taking time to specifically on this first one. But it is so important. We know what it's like to be in this world. And you know what it's like when you say, no, I don't believe that. Because I say the Bible says that. You, you just get ready because they're going to they're go for your throat. And I'm telling you, it is a blessing that you're able to say something boldly and base it on God's word. And just lean into it. I know that as you're sitting there, you're thinking, oh, but I don't believe everything in this world. Friends, this is the reality. The things that Jesus says are hard. And I wrestle with them as well. But it is the truth. It's proven. And the more I wrestle with it, and the more I see the sovereignness of God, man, I'm, I'm free to be able to share this. That's our first element of what it means. It hangs on everything. It's the belt of truth. The second one is also in that specific verse, and that is the breastplate of righteousness. I shared a little bit about this last week, and I want to just share this again. This, friends, is vital. And I love the word, this little pun on the vital, because in the physical realm, for some of you might have been wondering, in the physical realm, the breastplate is this thing that covers the breast. It hangs on the belt. It was hard, and it covers all the vital organs. I thought that's a lovely pun when I put that together. So it's vital, but it covers the vital organs, the heart and the lungs and the stomach. Um, that's what the breastplate did for the Roman soldier. Paul writes, you need the word of God. Everything hangs on that. Before he writes anything else, he says, you need the breastplate of righteousness. And I want, I want to say this specifically. I've written this down and, and I've been practicing, but I want to read it because I'm going to mess it up. We have to get this in our heads, that our rightness is not our own going into this battle. My rightness with God is given by, to me by Jesus Christ. And I wrote this. I said, we better have this right understanding if, this is going to, if we're going into a spiritual battle. Because the enemy will remind you and remind me of all the filthy things we've done Long time ago, when we're trying to fight this fight. And he'll remind us of the filthy things we did a few minutes ago. That will disqualify you of God's love, his grace, his power, his ability to withstand. He will remind you of all of that. And true, we'd be disqualified because of those things if it wasn't for Jesus Christ 
and His righteousness. Last week I said in Isaiah, it says, Our righteousness, our rightness is like filthy rags. And then it goes on to say, but we have been clothed, we've been wrapped around, is the word in the Hebrew, with the righteousness of God. Friends, if you get this image in your head, that is nothing you've physically done. I've actually underlined this with bold and made a highlight. This is the point. You are now righteousness of God. Amen. Thank you, brother. You are now the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. Nothing you've done, knowing that truth in your lives. Friends, this image I have, and I want to share this as, it, as, it, as the Lord just revealed this to me. Know this. If you know that that's who you are in Christ, not because of anything you're doing, because if you're doing that, it's going to have a hold on you. Because Christ has imputed, it's an incredible word from King James, it's just in you. It's who you are. That, that our enemy, the devil, when he sees us walking there, compared to other Christians who've, who've not realized this, he trembles. The radiance of God's glory, his rightness, shines like a noonday light in the spiritual realm. When you went into the presence of anything that's evil, he's blinded. You don't even have to do much. But he realizes, oh boy, that child there knows who they are in Christ. Their king has defeated me. I can't stand in the presence of his glory. This child represents Christ, the king. That is what's happening when you know that this is who you are in Christ. That is the righteousness of God that clothes you, that shines out to those around you. My wife and I hold on to this verse when we're in environments where we're with friends or people that we know that don't know the Lord at all. That we are the fragrance of Christ to those who will receive Jesus and those that are destined to die. It's a huge verse. But I know that something's happening in the spiritual realm because we are the radiance of Christ. His rightness is just shining like a noonday light to those around us. We know that as our identity. And then we just got to love people. God does the rest. It's a bold thing to say because some of those friends might be listening. So I'm going to be ready for this when we speak <laughs> on Monday. But it's true in my heart. Paul says this the most wonderful way. And, and friends, this verse just, oh, I just hope we just own this. It's found in 2 Corinthians verses, chapter 5, verses 21. This is, this is just it. And there's a lot of things, but this one's just amazing. He says, For our sake he, that is the heavenly Father, made him to be, that is Jesus, sin who knew no sin, so that in him we, that's you and me, might become the righteousness of God. Oh, friends, rest in that. He took on sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. It says it all. It is vital for us to have the breastplate of righteousness as we take on this battle. The next verse is the last one that I'll be sharing specifically today. And that's verse 15. And it's written like this. And it says, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Wow. We spoke about the belt. We spoke about the breastplate. And now Paul is giving them the image of the shoes of a soldier. 
Remember, we're talking about spiritual weapons, not physical weapons. I'm going to take you into the spiritual, the physical side first of all. There's a, a Jewish historian that wrote for, for Caesar on this first century uh, about the Roman, Roman wars. He also mentions Jesus in his, in his writings. If you want to look that up, just look it up on Google, on Wikipedia. But he speaks specifically, and I quote, when he speaks about a Roman soldier, and he says this about the shoes. He says, thickly studded with sharp nails. This alone was one of the key strategical things that made the Roman army so successful, that they took care of the soldiers' feet. You can imagine that those studded shoes, like an athlete, enabled them to cross any terrain, stand together with shields and embrace and shielded, stand firm, break open anything that was trying to rush at them. The shoes were able to differentiate the, the Roman soldier. As a, as a believer, you, would, you, would, you can imagine at the time, as the Roman legions would walk down the road, you'd hear these shoes coming in unison. Then if any of you have been in the, in the military, I was in the Navy for a while, you don't, you don't call commands, but you hear the sound as you walk, and it's in the way you move. But you can imagine with Roman soldiers with these shoes that were studded with sharp nails and the sound that that would make. That's the image that they would have in the physical realm. Now let's apply that, that powerful image in the, in the spiritual realm. I want to thank a friend helped me as I just unopened this, 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 this specific passage. I couldn't find it. We don't have that on, 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 on our present, but I, I've got, I want to just read the amplified version of this. It says, Having strapped on your feet the gospel of peace in preparation, and in brackets, to face the enemy with firm-footed stability, and the readiness produced by the good news. That's what the Amplified Version says of this specific verse. Readiness, friends. We need to be ready, instantly, in season, out of season, to be conditioned to share the gospel. We need to be so sensitive to the Holy Spirit that when the Holy Spirit prompts us that we need to share the truth of the gospel with people. Because, here's the statement, there is power in sharing the gospel. This is an incredible statement. When you know this too for yourselves, it changes the way you build and where you walk with faith. That when you want to talk about Jesus, knowing this alone knows that it reaches the hearts of many. There's power in the spoken word of the Lord. It's because God always confirms the word that he's spoken. When we speak his word, God confirms it. We've been sharing word. In this church, when we share God's word, we know that God confirms that. There's power when we share God's word. That's why most of our sermon is God's word. It's just, just what it is. And um, if you could just know that our faith, my faith, is built when I speak God's word. It's for the hearer as well as the person that actually receives it. And this is so important for all of us. Angels are in readiness to affirm God's word. That's the reality of when we share the gospel with people. The gospel is spoken, power is released. You know this verse, John 10 verse 10. Got it up there. I love it in the King James. But it says, 
With our hearts we believe unto righteousness, and with our mouths we confess unto salvation. With our mouths... Sorry, I don't know if I've got it up there. John 10 verse 10. Might be wrong, sorry. But uh, I'll just read it again. For with our hearts one believes and is justified, and with our mouths one confesses and is saved. I can just say it in my own life that knowing that there's power when we speak with authority in faith what God is saying, friends, it changes the game. You're not speaking as a timid person. You're knowing that God uses His Word when you share it. If you're able to listen to some people that are evangelists on streets and you watch what God does when they share God's Word, people that are in enmity with Him, people that are that are aggressively against him. As they share God's word, you see men and women changed. That is the power of the gospel. And Paul says it is one of the key things and is one of the, uh, part of the armor that we need to have. And I really just pray that that would be something that we would own in everything we do. Know that there is power in the gospel. When you've spoken word, the word will not become void. It will Seek out the purpose and it will speak into the hearts of many. I cling to that in many ways. And I just wanted to say, many of us in this church alone, we've been witnesses how God, as the gospel's been shared to us, we've been changed as people. I've seen, I've been part of moments where the person that I met four years ago and the way they would confront me, the things they would say, and how I saw over time God just as they've been part of the church, the next thing, God just changed them through hearing the gospel. And they're not the same people anymore. They're my brothers and my sisters. And I can be honest, when we first we met, I thought, Lord, I, I don't have faith for that person because they scare me. And that's the power of the gospel. That's the power of the gospel. And I just thank the Lord for that. I've shared a lot today, and, and I'm going to have one last verse that I'm going to share, and that's found in James chapter 4 from verse 7 and 8. And for me, friends, as I close and as the worship team comes up, this verse really summarizes for me in a, in, a, in a short way what it means to own what it means to be in the battle. It says this. It says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to the Lord, to God. Resist the devil, and he will free. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. What we're told in this verse is we need to resist the devil. And the promise is he will flee. How do we resist the devil? We need the full armament of God. I know that I've shared a lot. And I know that as you've worked through some of these things, as we've been sharing this morning, you're wrestling with that. Lord, I don't feel righteous. I'm thinking of the things in my life. Friends, own this truth of being the righteousness of God through, imputed through Jesus Christ. Some of you are thinking, there's things in this word that I, I just battle with. Allow the, the word to reveal its truth to you. And here's the amazing thing. That's, it seems like it's all we have to do in ourselves, but this is how amazing God's word is. He says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. And I thought about this example and, and, and I've got to share it. Because it's not just us doing this. I'm a father. I have wonderful daughters. And when my daughters draw away from me and they say to me, Daddy, leave me alone, and usually that's followed by a slamming of a door, nothing I can do or say will get them to draw closer to me. 
I can say things that makes it worse. My wife is saying, just doesn't work. But watch this. I'm watching and I'm waiting. And then I see. They just start drawing closer to me. There's something that happens and there's that love just, and they start drawing closer to me. And what I do is I just take that as a yes, exclamation dot. That's an absolute go. And dad is there and I just love them. And I want to show them how I love them. And I want to give them everything that they need. And I, and I just draw near to them because they just start drawing near to me. And that's me as a frail man and as a dad. Can you imagine what God does when we draw near to him? Friends, we are sitting in this place today because you're drawing near to God. That is an act of drawing nearer to God. When you give thanks to God, that is an act of drawing nearer to God. As we sing this next song, we're going to be drawing nearer to God. When we worship him now, we're drawing nearer to God. Know this for each one of us. Yes, we, we, he's asking us to be in this battle and to claim these promises. But the Holy Spirit empowers us. He draws near to us. I'm not the man I was when I started walking this journey. And I couldn't have done it on my own strength. But as I drew near to God, God started helping me to know who I am and to own the truth of what it means to be in this battle. And it's because I'm drawing nearer to God. You've heard Piet share this specific verse often. Because exactly that is happening in this place right now. I can just encourage you as we stand and as we pray. Please stand before we sing this song. I asked that we would just hear the Lord just speak to you right in this moment. Father, Lord, I just bring you everything I've said about what it means to be owning our identity as children, as sons and daughters of God. Trusting you, Lord. Understanding that we're in a spiritual battle. And we need to have spiritual weapons to own the promises that we have that have been given to us. And there are many, Lord, there are many promises. Blessings that are awaiting us. Thank you for that, Lord. Lord, I ask that as I share now, as I pray for us. Last week we said, Lord, that you'll open our eyes so that we will see you and we'll own our identity. Lord, I ask right now that you would give us an ability to draw closer to you and own what it means to be in this battle. Lord, help the truth to speak into our lives and for us to just set us free, Lord. Each of us here today, Lord, will it set us free? Lord, will we know the faith that it means to speak the word of God with power and with authority? See yourself, friends, beaming the radiance and the, and the love and the grace of the righteousness of God. Know who you are, which is not what the world says you would be. You are free and free indeed in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that we can come to you as children of God. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be soldiers for you. Lord, I pray for those that do not know you. And if for the first time they've seen who the enemy is and who that they are chained to and are bound to and at the mercy of this present darkness the cosmic forces of this age, the evil in the heavenly realms. Lord, I cry out, Lord, if they want to be free, that they will know, and in this moment they will cry out, Lord Jesus, forgive me for the sins that I've done. Lord Jesus, I want to just bow my knee to you. 
I need you, Lord, because I'm battered. Father, I pray that you would just come and flood them with your love in this very moment, Lord Jesus. We are free. And we worship you in Jesus' name.